important name. And uh, this morning in uh, Sunday school, we were talking about to that effect. Um, there are many who say many things about Jesus, but uh, as uh, Jesus asked that question to Peter, after he explained to him what others were saying, he then turned that question to Peter directly. Who, who do you say that I am? And uh, I don't know what you necessarily believe about Jesus, but I will say this. Uh, what you believe with respect to the truth about Jesus is of most importance. And it's not about what others think. It's about what you think personally. Uh, and so we need to be mindful of that. Uh, God has the last and the final word, no doubt. Uh, Join me this morning in Acts chapter 1. Um, we're going to read a familiar passage of Scripture that's kind of our foundational verse for uh, really kind of a series of messages about uh, ministering and witnessing uh, to the ends of the earth uh, and how we do that even from, uh, you know, Liberty Baptist out here in, in rural Americana. How is it that we, uh, you know, reach the nations, minister to the ends of the earth? Um, what part in that are we playing and so forth? So uh, Acts 1-8 is our foundation for that as God gives a, a calling, a commandment to the church in what it's supposed to be doing. And so I want to ask you if you're there this morning, would you please stand as we honor the reading of God's Word. We'll read the verse, we'll pray. Then I want you to watch uh, a, a very short little video, it's about two minutes, uh, to give us a little bit of perspective, I hope, this morning about why it is so important about what we need to be doing here. Acts 1.8 But you shall receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you and you shall be witnesses to me in Jerusalem in, in, and in all Judea and Samaria and to the end of the earth. Let's join our hearts in prayer. Father, thank you this morning that, that this is not a suggestion. This is not, you know... I want my people to come together, build a building, and decide if this is what they want to do. This is not a suggestion. This is not just merely a teacher saying this is good practice. Lord, this is a commandment. This is what your kingdom is about. And this is what everyone who names the name of Jesus as their Lord and Savior is to be doing. Father, when we look to Acts 1.8, we find your commitment to take the gospel as it starts in the center, the foundational place for all things in this word, Jerusalem, but that God, it has a natural progression to the end of the earth, to move beyond the walls of our church buildings and find a place in the heart of people. God, use your word today to transform lives and hearts, save souls for all of eternity. God, convict us this morning of our need to be actively a part of this commandment that you've given to us, the church, your people. We pray in Christ's name. Amen. And you may be seated.
Amen. When I saw that the other day, I was encouraged by the fact that this was actually put out by a Baptist college seminary. Uh, hallelujah. Let's stop trying to turn people into Calvinist or Armenian, and let's just bring people to Jesus. I, I, I was encouraged by that. We need more of it. You ever notice in our lives that at the end of the day, we're always doing, as adults, we're always doing what we want to do. You ever notice that? When, it, when it's all said and done, you know, we end up doing, for the most part, what we want to do. And when we look at our nation today, <coughs> all that is going on, <coughs> is there anyone here, is there anyone listening to this today? Who can, who can just say, hey, um, that's not important. We just need to maintain the status quo. I, I hope nobody believes that. Nothing changes if nothing changes. Amen? When we look into the Word of God and we think about Acts, we see the Acts of the Apostles. We see in Acts a book that tells us what the church is doing. What the church is doing. In Acts 1-8, before the Lord leaves, because verse 9 says, when He had spoken these things, while they watched, He was taken up, and a cloud received Him out of their sight. So the last words to the church is this command. I want you to make disciples. I want you to take the power of the Holy Spirit and, and you're to be a witness to me to the ends of the earth. And as I said before, this is progressive in nature. It is to begin in Jerusalem. Jerusalem is, is made up. There, there are Romans there, but Jerusalem is the hub of all Jewish culture. And even though when we look in the Gospels, it's clear that with respect to the person of Jesus Christ, the nation of Israel, the Jewish people as a whole, did not receive Him. They rejected Him. Now we understand that because when we read the Gospels, we find out that that ultimate sense of rejection happened because they crucified Jesus. You, we go back and we read our Old Testament and all of those prophecies, all of, that, all of those things that were written, that was written for the nation of Israel. They were to be looking and longing for their Messiah and then they would receive Jesus as their, as their Messiah. But that, that by and large did not happen. They rejected that. And, and, and we see that because they put nails through the hands and the feet of Jesus. Nothing says rejection like killing your Messiah. And so we understand holistically they did not receive Jesus. Some did. But we find out even though holistically they rejected Messiah, where does he want it to start? Where does he say ground zero is for the church? Jerusalem. Wanting the Jewish people to repent and to embrace the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. He said though at some point, we have to start and we have to progressively move elsewhere. And we see it moving beyond Jerusalem where there is a culture familiar with the Old Testament and the prophecies of God. 
So they have the base for the worldview that should receive Jesus, right? See, in, in, in our culture today, we, we're making the mistake that when we tell people or we talk to people about Jesus or our faith, we're assuming a lot of things that they even know what we're talking about. 30, 40 years ago, we could make that assumption. But we can no longer make that assumption. Because we're living in an era today that, that, that faith and salvation and how we believe and what we believe, these things are foreign to most people today. Even in the South, they, they, they may think they're saved because their zip code is in a certain part of the, of the country. But, but if we're living in the Bible Belt, there's some tough places in America, folks. If this is supposed to be ground zero here for, for all things Jesus, boy, we're missing the point. But there was a worldview in Jerusalem that when they preached Jesus and the fulfillment of those prophecies, it should have a likely result or they would understand. When you move beyond Jerusalem into Judea, you're going to encounter more people that don't have that worldview. And then he said, I want you to even go out into Samaria, right? Samaria, the place where, you know, they had intermarried with Gentiles and the Jewish people despised the Samaritans. They referred to them as dogs. They, they would even, been, they were known to curse them in their prayers. You're talking about animosity and issues. They were there, but yet Jesus said, I want the gospel, I want the church to take the gospel beyond Jerusalem, even to those old Samaritans over there. And even to the ends of the earth. Even to those who have no idea about the, the concept or the things of God. Because Jesus wanted people to hear the gospel and respond in faith. And here we are, you know, nearly 2,000 years down the road, and we're still teaching this gospel we're still preaching this gospel until the whole world hears, to the ends of the earth, until the Lord says it's, it's final and we're now moving into a new time. There is a man in the New Testament that I think epitomizes this progression and his love for Jerusalem and the Jewish people as a whole I think that man in that New Testament that God used mightily is someone we know today as the Apostle Paul. Of course, we understand that Paul was not always Paul. And by the way, you were not always who you are today either. There was, there was the person before Christ, right? And then there's the person after Christ. And if we're going to reach the world for Jesus, Paul teaches us some things that will challenge us to continue this movement. See, the, the, the church is not dead. There, there may be a lot of buildings that are serving no purpose, but the church of God is not dead and it's never going to die. Because it's not about an organization. It's about a living uh, organism. It's about a movement that is centered on this principle of taking this eternal life-changing message to the ends of the earth, and that we're not doing this in our strength. See, Acts 1-8 makes it very clear that the only way we're to accomplish this is through the power of the Holy Spirit. That, that is why <coughs> if your gift is charisma, God can use it. 
If, if your gift is knowledge and, and you know doctrine and you're able to teach that, God can use it. God can use any of those gifts. But understand, God does not have to have your giftedness to accomplish anything. Because He's God. And see, God gives us the promise that when we step out in faith, He will equip those that He has called. That, that's why I love the quote. We, we talk about, well, I'm not gifted in this area. I'm, not, I'm, an, I'm an introvert. You don't understand. I don't like talking to people. That is not necessary for evangelism. But love and obedience are necessary for evangelism. That's all that's necessary for evangelism is love and obedience. And, and it's amazing how we can make the, the excuse, I'm an extrovert, I, can't, I mean, I'm an introvert, and I can't do this, but yet <laughs> we, we seem to be doing all these other things. The Apostle Paul challenges us to continue the movement by, number one, staying broken for the world. Now, I want to bring you to a passage of Scripture in Acts chapter 26. Because it is in Acts 26 that here's Paul, and he's ultimately appealing to go to Rome. Because Paul is using his citizenship as a Roman to his advantage. He's not going to just sit there and let uh, people punish him without his due process. <laughs> and so he's using that to further the gospel. See, Paul's goal is to get the gospel to Spain. He's, to, he's wanting to expand. And if he can take a trip at the expense of the government to get the message, he's going to do that. He's going to take full advantage of that. And so here he is before Agrippa. And I just want you to, as we, as we start in 26 verse 1, I want to read down through verse 11. I just want you to hear the heart of, of Paul. Now understanding, again, he wasn't always Paul, right? There was a time in his life, and he's going he's to relive this here. We get, you know, we get Acts 8 moving into Acts 9 and we see these things unfolding. But he's going he's gonna to retell this again. I want you to put yourself, if you will, or if you can go back, if you will, in your mind to think about, here's a man. He's accused of all of these things uh, and the Jewish people are demanding that he be, uh, you know, personally held responsible and punished by the government for what he believes and what he is doing. And so he's appealing to the authorities at hand, why that's wrong, and he's wanting to ultimately use this for the glory of God. See, he's not worried about Paul. He's not worried about all of these other interests, self-interest. He's broken for the world. And you will hear that in the text. This is the heart of a man broken for the world that is dying, headed into an eternal hell, separated from God. Listen to this. Verse 1, Agrippa says to Paul, you are permitted to speak for yourself. And so Paul stretched out his hand and answered for, for himself. I think myself happy, King Agrippa, in verse 2, because today I shall answer for myself before you concerning all the things of which I am accused by the Jews. In other words, Paul has his day in court. You've heard all that is said about me. I want to tell you, I want to give you my side of the story. You know, we understand there's always two sides to the story. You know, the Bible even says there's one side that always seems true to you hear the other side. You know? If, if you're a parent, you know this. You know this. There are always two sides to the story. 
Paul has his opportunity to explain what is going on. And listen to what he says. He says, I'm accused, all these things of which I'm accused by the Jews, especially because you, and you're talking about showering the judge with a little praise here, you are an expert in all customs and questions which have to do with the Jews. Therefore, I beg you to hear me patiently. My manner of life from my youth, which was spent from the beginning among my own nation at Jerusalem, all the Jews know. They know me from the first, if they are willing to testify, that according to the strictest sect of our religion, I lived a Pharisee. You know, he says this over in Philippians 2. He says, I was a Hebrew among Hebrews. I was a Pharisee. And now I stand and am judged for the hope of the promise made by God to our fathers. To this promise, our twelve tribes, earnestly serving God night and day, hope to attain. For this hope's sake, King Agrippa, I am accused by the Jews. So what's he saying? I, I have found out that everything I was working for, teaching, why I was living the life of a Pharisee, all of that hope of what I was doing that for did not rest in my obedience to the law and tradition and customs. But it was affirmed in this hope of Jesus. Now, he's, he's, he's hanging right there. And he says this. Uh, go, go back to verse 8. To this promise, our twelve tribes, earnestly serving God, night and day, they hope to attain this. For this hope's sake, King Agrippa, I'm accused by the Jews. Verse 8. Why should it be thought incredible by you that God raises the dead? Indeed, I myself thought I must do many things contrary to the name of Jesus of Nazareth. This I also did in Jerusalem. Many of the saints I shut up in prison, having received authority from the chief priests, and when they were put to death, I, Paul says, I cast my vote against them, and I punished them often in every synagogue and compelled them to blaspheme, and being exceedingly enraged against them, I persecuted them even to foreign cities. So, so he's saying, Agrippa, I now am on the end here of what I was dishing out. I'm I'm the person now that was being chased from city to city and being persecuted for what for what I believe. I've lived both sides of this, and I'm here to tell you as the person that was on the other side chasing Christians from town to town, papers of authority to arrest them and to destroy the church. I earnestly persecuted them. When it came time, should they die or not, Paul said, I said yes. We're reminded there as Stephen is being stoned, the clothes of those who, you know, they made sure they took their tunic off so they could be unhindered. So that they're fastball. When they ran back with that stone, that they, they, nothing was withholding the, the might and the force and the anger and the fierceness of their hatred for Stephen. Who held the tunics? Saul. Gladly, as he watched them perish. On his way, he would go on and say, on that road to Damascus, letters in my hand, authority by the Roman to, to put the church in jail. It was there that God saved my life. And Paul is saying that ever since that day, King Agrippa, I'm standing here today to tell you I've never gotten over being saved. 
and I am broken for the world. I am broken for the reality that there are those that are not that are not just walking in the hell. My friend, they are running and strutting in the hell with their nose in the air full of pride and arrogance. The challenge is to stay broken for the world. The challenge today to the church is to rightfully discern, to be able to separate the sheep from the wolf in our culture. Because they, they, are, they are those who are entrapped, in, in, in if you will, or caught up in some of the most idiotic, godless, demonic activity that, we, that I've ever seen in my lifetime and probably in yours. And they're dumb to the aspect of the reality of what they are doing. Uh, the, the communists called them useful idiots. But there are those who are the wolves of those movements who actively are seeking a way to demonically, evilly destroy the foundations and the fundamentals of a, of a nation in its founding that agreed and understood there was a God. You're not getting those people to Sunday school, folks. I got news for you. You're not. They are actively wolves seeking to destroy people. You will not win them. And we need to be able to discern the rightful evil and defeat that and save the sheep through the truth of the gospel. We have This is manifested in our culture today. The assistant to our health and human services is a guy who dresses up as a woman and tells people this is normal. That that is the truth. We have people unashamedly before a, a, a panel of our congressmen to say, if you do not affirm this transgender madness, We will take money from your schools for the lunch program and we will take money from your hospitals to treat people. I'm not making that up. That is happening in our nation today. Why? Because that is demonic evil activity, folks. They're not looking for an invite to Sunday school. They have to be defeated because they are discipling the next generation madness. We're not stepping into a world where we can talk about Jesus and people just know the history. We're not. We're not in that culture anymore. We're in this culture that, that, that Paul is stepping into of the Gentile world that, that they're worshiping idol after idol after idol. And they do not understand the things of God. And yet Paul was still broken for them. And we have to still be broken for this world in which we're living in. Because this nation in decline is going to continue to decline if, if, if we don't have a revival from God. We're too far gone, folks. We need an authentic revival from God to challenge the hearts of God's people and to see the outflowing of that in, in the the. the the renewing of our commitment to Christ, and ultimately in the salvation of the lost. 
The challenge is to stay broken for the world. Paul's under house arrest. What does he do? He invites people to come to his house to tell them about Jesus. That's why when we say, hey, I'm, 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 an, I'm an introvert. I can't do this. You, 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 ever, you ever invited anybody over to have a hamburger? You know? Share, share a new protein shake you've come up with, some new idea you've come up with. Try it on them first to see if, if it's okay before you take it. You know, you found your magic bullet on sale at Ollie's and you, you know, you're going to zip it up and pour it out. You, know. you, you ever invited anybody over to the house? You, you, your kids ever played on a soccer team or, you know, baseball team? And, you know, it's your night to do snacks. I mean, you, you have to talk to people. To some degree, you have to at least tell them, there's the chips, there's the sandwiches, you know. We got Coke, Sprite, Coke Zero, and some water over here. We do this all the time. Where, where you work at, you talk to people. You got to talk to people. If we're broken for the world and we care about people, we do what we need to do. We see the reality of this, that people need the Lord. And what is my pathway to be a part of that process? Paul's broken for the world. So that's the challenge. Do we care? And then second of all, in Acts 28, Paul teaches us the idea of being relentless with that passion for people to come to Christ. So much so, in Acts 28, you know what happens here. Acts 28 is, you know, they're sailing to Rome. And, you know, Paul says, you know, we barely made it to this point. I think we realize, you know, I mean, I ain't no sailor, but I've been around the world enough to know now ain't the time to be on the sea. We need to, you know, we need to stay the winter here. And so the guy that's in charge, the centurion, you know, he says, well, you know, Paul, he, he's a smart guy. Let me see what the guy who owns the ship says. Well, the guy who owns the ship says, you need to sail. Because if, if the ship ain't sailing, I ain't making no money. So that's what they decide to do. It turns out, Paul says, this is a bad idea. And it is a very bad idea because the ship runs ashore, it's busting all up, and they're floating around in the sea. They find their way to this little island called Malta. Now, just, just hold on a minute. Just pause for a second. You got a heart for Jesus. You want to do what's right. You want to see people saved. In Paul's case... He's ultimately going to be tried and put to death for preaching the gospel. He's making his way to Rome. Ultimately, that's the end here. That's, that's what's going to happen. And on his way to, to get there with the hope and the expectation of seeing some of his friends and sharing the gospel, he gets shipwrecked, floating around in the sea. See, we've got to understand something. 
that if we're relentless for the world, if this means something to us, at the first sign of difficulty, we just don't give up and say, well, God must not want me to be a soul winner. That ain't God telling you that. I mean, how are we inconvenienced today? I mean, I, I have all these first world problems. Believe me, I do. Just like you do. But I mean, I'm going to Rome to ultimately be tried and put to death and on the way I get shipwrecked? I'm like, man, if it wasn't for Wuhan luck, man, I wouldn't have no luck at all. Just terrible. And then they make it to shore because God had given Paul this promise none of them would die. And he makes it to shore. He's wet. He meets some friendly natives there. And they want to build a fire to make them comfortable. And Paul's out here doing his part, gathering the wood. And when he goes to throw the wood in the fire, a snake bites him in the, on the hand. A snake. Yes, a snake. So you're, you're on the way to Rome. You're shipwrecked because people won't listen to you. And by the way, you know, sometimes we don't want to say, I told you so. Paul said, I told you so. Some people just need to hear it. You wrong. You were wrong. I love you. I'm forgiving you. And I'm ready to move on. But if you listen to me, I wouldn't be floating around in the sea, and neither would you. So next time, listen up. Gets to shore, bit by a snake, and everybody's looking around like, man. Boy, this guy's got some kind of luck right here. The sea don't get him, snake going to get him. They're just standing around watching him like he's going to swell up and die. I don't know what kind of natives were, but you know, they might have been thinking, this might be our meal later. I don't know. But after a while, they realized that nothing's going to happen. What does Paul do? I mean, the, on the itinerary, there was not a, a stop in Malta. This isn't Greyhound, okay? If it, if it was Greyhound, there would be a stop in Malta. No doubt about it. Only transportation company I know that takes eight hours to get to Atlanta from Tiffin. You start out by going west. There was nothing on the itinerary... I'm hanging out. We're going, to, we're going to have a, you know, there's a gift shop in Malta you got to see. Get off the ship. There are going to be some folks there trying to sell you some beads and do your hair. That's what happens, right? Modern day cruise, right? No. None of that going on. What does he do? Paul's wet. Got bit by a snake. And what does he do? He takes the opportunity to bring healing to the tribal chief and his family and minister to them. And ultimately, it is through that circumstance that even on this island of Malta that's out in the middle of nowhere, that nobody's, you know, there's no tourism there, but, but God brings Paul there. And because of his relentless passion for the world, to hear the gospel. He preaches it, he lives it, he teaches it, and people are saved as a result of it. 
Something to think about the next time mine and your plans don't go the way we want them to. But, and by the way, when does that happen? When does that really happen? If, if you're living that, talk to me. Because on a regular basis, my plans are not working out like I want them to. And I, I just chalked it up, that's the season of life I'm in, etc. But if, if it's happening to you, talk to me. I need the encouragement, the help. When does this stuff always go right, right? Not often. Is that a discouragement? We're going to give up because I, I didn't get accepted into some university? It's probably a blessing. I didn't get the call. I put in the application. I want to go to work. They're not calling me. That may be a blessing. Maybe God has that, but not now. I mean, wherever you're at, whatever you're doing, if God's allowing you to be there, to serve there, to work there, to whatever there, then have that passion for Christ. Paul's teaching us that. We see a beginning. We see a trial. Relentless in his passion and then ultimately finishing well. The start's always the fun part. Most of the time. You ever notice that though, right? You want to start a business or, you know, you're, you're a young person and uh, you're going you're gonna to try out for football or some sport and, and you're just excited about it because something new. And, and, and you get in there and you, you like folks and then you realize you got to practice three or four times a week. And, and then you realize that you got to watch games and understand how the concept of the game is even played. And then you're, when you're there and you're practicing, your, your coach is critiquing you. Saying, man, you know, you got a lot of heart, but you can't catch. you got to learn to catch because... There's only one right fielder. Okay, you got to learn how to get, or, or you know, you can shoot, but you are a ball hog, man. You're not the team. There's four other people that are standing around like, could I get the ball? You're the guy who snaps the ball on the football team. You're not the running back for a reason. There's this concept, right? And we start out, we're like, this is great. And then it gets See, life, marriage starts out that way. That's why they call it the honeymoon. But there are challenges to marriage. There are challenges to constantly go through the ebb and flow of life and work and, and, and love someone who knows all this stuff about you, your bad habits and all your hang-ups and hiccups and all of that, and, and you just have to choose to love your spouse the way Christ loves you, uh, imperfect as it may be, and it's hard. It's difficult. Kids come along, and the Lord says, this is a heritage, this is a blessing, and you're like, whoa, boy, feels a lot like work to me. Because life is hard, and we all seem to start well. Ministries like that. 
You feel called of God and, and you step into a pulpit and you preach and, and somebody is moved by God to receive Christ and it encourages you to surrender wholeheartedly but every day you preach won't be Pentecost. It'll be hard. There'll be difficulties. There'll be issues to work through. Then what do you do? Paul teaches us to finish well. To finish well. Some people need to start. No doubt about it. Some people need to start. We talk about teaching the class. You're talking about, I don't know that I'm prepared to do it. Well, here's what I know to do. If you'll just try, if God is, honestly, if you would just be open to the idea that God would even use you and equip you, you'll find out that if you're called to stand before a bunch of folks and deliver a lesson from the Word of God, here's what you're going to find out. You'll get in your Bible and study. You know why? Because you'll be embarrassed. Because I'm going to tell you, you teaching 4th, 5th, and 6th graders, they got some good questions. Let me tell you, you get cleared up in your class on some Red Bull, brother, you're going to get some questions. And I love her. I love her to death. She's going to give you some questions. I, keep me on my toes. Which is why I'm handing that class off to Ryan and Kelly. Because I love them. Acts 28, listen to this, we're going to close. Acts 28. <coughs> Paul's on house arrest. And he's, he's had this phenomenal ministry to the Gentiles. And yet, you know what he's doing in these final days? He's ministering to Jews. In his heart of hearts, Paul has not forgotten his beginnings. He's not forgotten the fact that there are many of his Jewish brothers that were led astray by what he did initially. And you know what he's doing? He's taking every opportunity to right that wrong. He hadn't forgot it. See, that's a, that's a burden. That's a burden that we all need to carry un with respect to this, that we are people that influence other people. You do. Good, bad, and different. We are people of influence. Paul understood that. And he spent, he's spending these final few days trying to minister to the Jews. And listen to this. Talk about finishing well. Look at verse 23 of Acts 28. It says, So when they had appointed him a day, many came to him at his lodging, to whom he explained, and solemnly testified of the kingdom of God, persuading them concerning Jesus from both the law of Moses and the prophets from morning till evening. And look at verse 24. And some were persuaded by the things which were spoken, and some disbelieved. Verse 25. So when they did not agree among themselves, they departed after Paul had said one word. In other words, folks, this is the picture. Somebody cares, hey, come with me. I'm going to Paul's house. He serves the best hamburgers over there. We're going to sit down. We're going to, we got, I got some questions I've been asking him. Very smart guy. I think you should come with me. And they sit down at the table, and they're eating a hamburger. They're having a good time. And he asked Paul, so tell us about this Jesus. And as soon as he opens his mouth, that guy says, I'm done with this. And he walks out the door. 
that ever happened to you? You ever, you ever knocked on a door to invite somebody to church and get slammed in your face? You ever have somebody say, Pastor, I want to talk to you, and they, they're, they're, they come to you to try to convince you that everything you believe is wrong. And my, my whole argument is, do you think, do you think you're going to walk into a, a setting like this and, con, and convince me in five minutes that everything I have built my life on for the last 20 years, I'm going to throw that away knowing I'm going to face a God in eternity? Are you serious? I recognize I may not change their mind, but they're certainly not going to change mine. You ever had people treat you like that? That the eternal life-saving message of the gospel is trash. A killjoy. I tell you, you get enough of that, you know what you want to do? You want to quit. You want to stop. Getting the youth group set, and man, and you're sitting here, you're trying to teach the word, bring the conviction and the reality of the world they're fixing to step into. And they just seem to, they don't care. You want to, after a while you're like, you know, I got no hair to pull out, but I'm, I'm ready to quit. Let me tell you, Paul, he faced that. Just the pleading in his heart, I once was where you were, man. And I was wrong. And I am begging you. Give this up now. Give it up now. Repent and turn to Jesus. Some believed and some did not. But that did not deter Paul. He finished well. And you need to do that. There needs to be a resolve in our heart to do that. And the reality is this, folks. When it's all said and done today, we're a long time away from the Apostle Paul. But this message that he preached is still alive and well in the church. We're still talking about this today. You're free to live and pour into whatever you want to pour into and whatever you want your legacy to be. That's, that's, that's up to you, man. But I want to tell you, there, there's only a few things that are going to last through all of eternity. And Paul reminds us that we're to be broken. Relentless passion for the world and to not stop. There's coming a day we'll have to stop. But until that day comes, we still serve. We still love. We're still preaching. We're still teaching. And we're going to finish well. Because my friend, if we want to hear well done, good and faithful service servant, then you know what we need to do? We need to do well. We need to finish well. May God give us a resolve and a zeal, a passion, for the things of God, to reach people for Jesus. Would you pray with me this morning? Father, we acknowledge today that you are the King of kings and Lord of lords, and as we draw this message and this service to a close today, Lord, God, do a work in our hearts. Help us to be broken, passionate people that love, love people, want to see people be saved, People who can rightly divide the word, to know the truth, to discern the times. 
For some of us this morning, God, give us the the desire to start. For some of us this morning, God, give us the strength to continue on. Wherever we fall, whatever category we find ourselves in today, may you be praised in our obedience, I pray. In Christ's name, amen. Would you stand to your